Fastamai, good evening, I'm Lewis Foster and welcome to this edition of Island Life. Over the past few weeks, a topic that has been discussed many times in recent decades has worked its way back into the public psyche. As Public Health Isle of Man looks to decrease the number of children suffering from dental decay, a familiar option has been tabled – water fluoridation. Figures released this month show 17% of five-year-old children on the Isle of Man have dental decay, making it one of the main causes of hospital admission in that age group. Now, subject to Timwald approval, public health will be tasked by the Council of Ministers to compile a research paper looking into fluoridation following recommendations set out by the Social Affairs Policy Review Committee, which hopes to improve oral health for children. It will examine the effects on the population, the extent it would reduce levels of tooth decay, and whether it would be more efficient and effective than a targeted approach of using fluoride varnish. A number of measures there, but it's the proposal of fluoridation that has really caught the public's imagination in recent weeks, if these comments on the man in line are anything to go by. It's a cheap option for them, I would suggest, to try and introduce fluoridation. But it's a poison. Possibly they should go into schools and teach children how to brush their teeth properly. Basically, I think it's down to the parents. I wonder what would happen to nature if any of it leached out into the system. Why, says Sue, has someone dragged out the fluoridation issue again and who is it? It's already been shown that most people don't want extra chemicals in the water supply. If children need fluoride, then issue free drops to parents. I don't want the stuff in my water just because someone else's child has bad teeth. So many people on the Isle of Man, it would be fair to say, are against the idea. Mark Hepworth, a dentist at Abbey Dental in Ballasalla, gave me his thoughts. As a dentist, uh, I'm quite sort of pro-fluoride. Uh, treatments of teeth uh, and uh, we obviously use fluoride treatments in a lot of our uh, treatment protocols for patients of all ages. Um, the, I think the issue slightly is my personal opinion uh, as a dentist is that fluoride is important, it's safe when used correctly. Um, but I'm not that keen on a kind of mass medication approach of popping it in the water supply and and let's just, is, is it then put in the water, support, water supply so we can forget about using fluoride in other dental treatments or other applications? You know, so um, I think it's, it's used apparently safely in, in other uh, parts of the UK and in other countries in the world. And um, there's lots of research on the safety of fluoride in water. There's also lots of uh, evidence of complications with fluoride in the water. Uh, so I think that that's one of the issues that, or, or several issues that the government should look at, or certainly uh, if it's Manx Care that's involved, they should be looking at rather than simply mass medicating everybody. You know, I can, I can bring up various papers that will tell you that there's probably more fluoride in a cup of tea than there is you know, in, in certain water treatments. So the issue can sometimes be, lots of people don't realise that if you actually have four cups of tea a day, you've got about the, the sort of recommended level of fluoride that is in normal water, so, or fluoridated water. So if you then drank sort of eight cups of tea, does that mean you're getting more fluoride? If you then had eight cups of tea in a fluoridated area, is that an unsafe level? So 
again, you know, for me as a dentist, I tend to use fluoride application on a lot of kids' teeth and a lot of adult teeth uh, because it's a direct topical approach of, uh, for fluoride treatment uh, rather than simply saying to someone, well, drink water. You also have the issues when you add fluoride to a water area, you're specifically targeting developing people. I mean, I'm assuming that um, the Manx government has decided to try and use this approach because we've seemed to have a high level of kids that end up in an A&E or having general anesthesia to have teeth removed. This is this is what so, we're told, yeah, that public health has highlighted that 70% of five-year-old children have dental decay, uh, one of the main causes of hospital admission. Is that, does that come as a surprise to you at all? It does, but the, the main, one of the issues for as a dentist, it's very difficult to treat patients full stop. It's very difficult to treat nervous patients. Anyone under the age of sort of seven years old is probably going to be a nervous patient. So unfortunately, if you have tooth decay or a tooth which is not restorable, um, one approach is simply to anesthetize a child's general anesthesia and then pull out any teeth that need pulling out. And it is a bit of a, a sledgehammer to crack a nut approach because generally if we need to refer someone off for um, a general anesthetic, the, you know, you, you're trying to maximize the treatment for that anesthesia. So I may say, well, this one tooth needs taken out. And a lot of time hospital dentists will then go, right, well, that one looks like it might need taken out. That one might, look, might need taken out. So rather than have a child back for five GAs, they'll get them in and take five teeth out all in one go. So it's, it's quite traumatic for the child, for the parents. So, you know, the, there definitely needs to be some way of, of addressing tooth decay in in children um i'm not quite sure whether fluoride fluoride in the water is the best way certainly education is one of the most important steps forward that i've seen plenty of kids who don't necessarily drink tap water they might be drinking loads of orange juice they might have uh ribena and fruit shoots uh, and, you know, how much tap water they're actually drinking. You know, I believe that a lot of the research states that fluoride in the water has a benefit to certain deprived socioeconomic groups. So, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure how much of the island falls into that category. But, but that's another reason where they kind of go, well, you know, we'll put it in the water there and that will sort out that group. Again, it's it's is it the best sort of policy um i mean presumably nhs treatment is available for free to anybody on the island and and it should be uh, now whether you know a parent chooses to go to a private practice or whether they choose to go to an nhs practice i don't see any reason in this day and age why there isn't a greater availability for parents and children to go wherever they want whether that's nhs or whether that's private what more could the government be doing then? I'm thinking the DESC perhaps in, in schools to to uh, to educate kids and, and, and introduce them to perhaps different types of, uh, of dental care that they might not have considered before, flossing, for example. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, small children have difficulty flossing. It's the manual dexterity that's the, that's the difficult side of things with that. Um, part of the battle uh, is can we get kids to brush their teeth twice a day? And I think flossing, uh, using small interspace into dental brushes, water flossing, all those things are important. But if a busy parent 
you know, it's the, the important thing is, can you get the kids to brush twice a day, ideally before breakfast? But, you know, realistically, if they have their breakfast and clean, then great. And then last thing at night and after they've cleaned their teeth, try not certainly at night, no more sort of snacks except water um, in the daytime. You know, a lot of it is education and not just of the children. It is the parents and the grandparents, you know, minimize the frequency of sugar. Um, Easter is a terrible time because obviously everyone's got chocolate eggs. If you ask me, do my kids get chocolate eggs? Yes, but they got them all and they were given all the eggs in one go um, and they ate them all probably within a couple of days. You don't want people having lots and lots of chocolate or lots and lots of sugar spaced out over weeks. And of course, that's the thing. Grandparents pick children up after school. There's a lot of families that care for, you know, other sort of children, other, other groups, whether it's nephews, whether it's nieces, whether it's grandchildren. And it tends to be we pick them up, give them some sweets, take them to, to the shop for some for some treats. It, it has to be a case of educating people that minimize the amount or the, the frequency of sugar and also education as in use a good fluoride toothpaste twice a day. The cleaning's important. It's when can you have snacks? When can you not have snacks? When should you have snacks? What are the best snacks to have? And just an understanding of, of how to prevent tooth decay at, at an early age in developing teeth, developing mouths. Abbey Dental's Mark Hepworth there. Well, as I mentioned at the start, water fluoridation isn't a new subject on the island. In 2014, then-Health Minister Howard Quayle told Timwald colleagues governments had already consulted the public in 2008, a consultation which resulted in a resounding no. I'm also holding in my hand a dossier sent in by a listener last week, and it's full of newspaper clippings dating back, some of them, to 1978. And just some of the headlines that have been carefully picked out for us here. One here in the letters to the editor say, The dangers of fluoride. Another thumbs down for fluoride in water. Scrap the fluoride proposal, another says. And dental education is more satisfactory than fluoride is another headline. This one dating back to 2003, sent in by a reader from Birchill in Onken. But those aside, Public Health Director Professor Hugo Van Worden says it's important fluoridation is considered, even if it's not feasible. Someone who disputes the claims that there's a list of complications with fluoridation is Simon Hernshaw, the coordinator of the National Community Water Fluoridation Network in the UK and chair of the local dental network for North Yorkshire and Humber. So my background is general practice. I was a general dental practitioner in Hull and... Um, during the early part of my career, I recognised that I could improve the oral health of the community of patients that I was seeing, particularly children. But whenever I saw a new patient, I recognised that they had quite a lot of serious dental disease. And I began to think about ways we could improve population health, the, the health of all children, all adults within the community that I was serving. And at the same time, in Hull, I saw patients from across the river in, in Lincolnshire, in North Lincolnshire, which had a fluoridation programme running. It was very easy for me to recognise that the improvement in oral health of the people who were coming to see me from across the river in, in, in that, from that part of the world. And it struck me that, um, you know, water fluoridation is one tool that we can use to improve the oral health of the people that we serve. And so I began to build 
the, the Community Water Fluoridation Network working with the British Fluoridation Society. It's a group of mainly dental organisations that seek to kind of raise the profile and advocate for water fluoridation, but includes um, some children's charities like the National Children's Bureau. So what we're trying to do really is um, get across the merits of water fluoridation and, um, and base the argument really on public health and science. That's the key, Lewis, because water fluoridation is seen as a controversial subject, but really it isn't. It helps people and particularly children to have better dental health and the overwhelming scientific research, you know, conducted over, you know, many, many decades now suggests that it's a safe and effective way of improving all our health, really. Some of the arguments against that we've heard on the Isle of Man in the past few days is that it's like you say, it might distract from other measures which need to be taken. Um, more emphasis should be put on on general hygiene, on on, on brushing, um, etc. And that word mass medication came up. People really put off by that term. Is that some of the the arguments you're coming up against when you when you go and deliver these talks? Yeah, let, let's deal with, with with the with the overall strategy. And I know the Isle of Man, you know, is is concerned about the oral health of, of of the children living on the island, quite rightly. And it's looking, you know, responsibly at ways that they can improve health of the children on the island. And you know that that's an ex- excellent initiative. And, and of course, we need to look at you know a whole range of things that we can do. You know, we need to look at diets because we know that oral health is related to you know if you if you take you on board lots of sugar or lots of sugar frequently you're going to have poor dental health if you're not brushing your teeth properly twice a day using fluoride toothpaste you're not going to have optimum oral health if you can't see a dentist you're more likely to have poor oral health the thing about all these things lewis is it requires some level of behavior change and it requires some some form of decision making and that's not the case with water fluoridation with water fluoridation at one part per million so it's a very small concentration and basically that we find um, fluoride in all water uh, in, in in some areas like hartlepool it it is at a level of one part per million anyway so describing water fluoridation as um, as mass medication is wrong. It's not mass medication. We're just adjusting the fluoride level, the natural fluoride level, to a level which can improve oral health. So community water fluoridation is highly equitable. It's extremely fair because everyone benefits, whether they're old and young, whether they're able-bodied or disabled, wherever they are on the educational spectrum. Um, it, it benefits children who are living in deprivation actually more than those who are, who are living in the more wealthy community. So it's a universal public health measure that research demonstrates is entirely safe. And, and, and it ha- can have a profoundly significant effect on oral health. We know that, um, you know, the science tells us, so Public Health England publishes a, a monitoring report every every two years, and we, we know that on in average, on average, fluoridation reduces dental care in children in the most deprived areas by around 52%. Benefits all people, you know, from three to 75 and, 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 and wider than that. 330,000 people already have naturally fluoridated water supplies and around 10% of the population, so that's around 6 million people in, in England, have 
artificially fluoridated water. So we're just rising, raising that naturally occurring fluoridation level up to one part per million. And, you know, the science tells us, Lewis, that, you know, there is no credible evidence that the, of, of any adverse effects um, apart from, you know, very mild dental fluorosis, which isn't really recognisable unless you're under a dentist's light in a dentist chair. So the opportunity, I think, for the Isle of Man is to look at, you know, a basket of measures that can improve oral health. You know, all the things that people have talked about quite rightly, you know, can we can we introduce supervised brushing programmes? I think they're really, really good things and the evidence base behind them is very, very strong. Can we introduce fluoride varnish programmes? Yes, we should because, you know, they're, they're good measures. Can we help by having stronger sugar taxation? So we take sugar out of diets. Can we control what's provided for children in school by accrediting a healthy eating policies? Yes, of course. But the most cost effective way and the most profoundly significant way of improving oral health, particularly of children, is water fluoridation. If we invest one pound today in 20 years, we'll have over 20 pounds worth of um, return on investment. So it's highly cost effective, highly safe, and most importantly, I think, universal. But I think this is a decision for the Isle of Man, isn't it? And, and, and for the public health department. It's, it's a debate that the Isle of Man needs to have, like we're having in the UK, where recently the, the four chief medical officers released a position statement on supporting fluoridation. And recently, the um, Association of Directors of Dental Public Health released a position statement around supporting, you know, a basket of measures, including increasing the number of water fluoridation schemes, which, as they say, and these are directors of public health, are the single most effective public health measure for reducing tooth decay rates. Most importantly, Lewis, we need to address this debate based on the science and not based on the misinformation that we see around water fluoridation. So the water fluoridation debate is a little bit like the immunisation debate and the COVID immunisation debate where there's a lot of misinformation around um, adverse health effects, which are simply unsubstantiated and untrue. Water fluoridation schemes have been running now in, in England for over 50 years, supplying millions, millions of people, and there have been no recorded adverse health effects. But what we do see is improved oral health. We see much better dental health within those communities, and we see many fewer children having to have teeth removed under general anaesthetic. I think that's really, really important to understand. And how quick are those effects in places that have introduced water fluoridation? What's the kind of turnaround in reaction? Yeah, so it takes takes around five years, Lewis, for the effects to start becoming obvious, particularly with children. But the great thing about it is it will have an effect from day one, particularly across a deprived community. What we know is the science tells us, the numbers tell us, the data tells us that actually water fluoridation helps those people who need it the most. So we know, for example, that on average, child general anaesthetics are reduced by around 45% in hospitals. But for children from deprived communities, that fall is is more like 70% or 68% in the most deprived areas. So it helps the people who need it the most. Tell us a bit about the process. How how do we go about 
actually fluoridating the water supply. How does it how does it happen? Is it at the reservoir or further down the line? Okay, and that, that that's what you do. What you're raising there is an important point because. Yes, the Isle of Man needs to have a kind of open and honest and science-based debate about, about water fluoridation. But most importantly, we need to check whether it's feasible. So is it feasible to, to, to fluoridate? You know, is the water supply structured in a way that um, it can be done? So that's the very first thing to identify. And basically, a plant is built which introduces, as I say, one part per million fluoride into the water supply. It's, it's really a minute amount. And, and, and actually, that concentration exists naturally in many parts of um, many parts of England. And what's the percentage like of in the UK of, of places that do have a fluoridated water supply compared to those that don't? And, and what would you like to see personally? So at the moment, around 10% of the water supplies in England are fluoridated, serving you know, around around 6 million people. And on top of that, around 500,000 people are supplied by naturally fluoridated um, water supplies. In England, we're looking very carefully at water fluoridation now. So in, in the 2022 uh, Health and Social Care Act, which recently, recently became law, there are clauses in there which commit to looking at opening up water fluoridation schemes in the future. My personal opinion is we need to start with those areas with the poorest oral health where fluoridation is feasible. So identify those communities which need help the most and look at putting in schemes into those areas in the future. Because oral health has a big impact on, on children in particular. So, you know, pain, sleepless nights, poor school readiness, carers and parents and guardians having to take time off work to manage that poor oral health and what we need to remember as well Lewis and this is critical is that dental disease is entirely preventable almost entirely preventable 99% preventable and we know how to prevent it and we need to start doing it and using public health programs to achieve that and you know for sure if, if, if it's not feasible to to use water fluoridation in the Isle of Man, we need to ramp up all the other measures that I'm sure are being talked about in terms of supervised brush, brushing, fluoride varnish application, trying to improve diets. But I've said, as I've said before, all these things require a level of behaviour change at a personal level or even organisational level, whereas water fluoridation is entirely equitable. It's fair, it's open to everyone, it's universal, and it's safe and effective. Simon Hearnshaw there, and on whether government is shirking responsibility, like Mark said before, Simon told me public health programmes are science-based schemes, carefully designed to improve health and prevent disease. There's no hope here, he says. The science tells us the outcome is reduced disease. Other actions are also required. Fluoridation is an effective and safe public health measure, he says, that if feasible should be one part of an oral health strategy, which is what is being considered. And that's the word, considered. If approved by Tim Walt, a report looking into adding fluoride to the water would be brought to political members no later than February 2024's Tim Walt sitting. In the meantime, though, I've been Lewis Foster, and I hope this programme has given you plenty of food for thought, enough at least to sink your teeth into. <laughs>